OTB GAA. What's more now when they be saying the game is tougher and all that? But you'd never see a hurdle broken, would you? <laughs> you broke a good view, man. No, but would you? <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Off the ball daily. Our next section, just before we take a break, folks, will be a panel discussion about some of the barriers to participation in the sport that people with disabilities face. So I'd like to invite up to the stage here once again, um, Jack Havana, Liberty Ambassador, who interviewed Minister Anne Rabbit a few moments ago, Paul Keely, the National Sports Development Officer with Vision Sports Ireland, and Benny Cullen, Director of Research and Innovation at Sport Ireland. Look, great to talk to you, Podrick and Benny and Jack again. Um, so... We'll start with you, Jack, because obviously you spoke to Anne Rabbit there and you've had to overcome barriers in uh, most of your adult life after a serious accident. Uh, you were an active sports person, your back being one. So maybe speak to us about your journey. Yeah, well, look, my story really is, is one of before and after. Um, I was very actively involved in, in sport and activity as a young person, um, all sorts of things, uh, Gaelic running, soccer, tennis, athletics, swimming um, when I was a kid. Um, as a teenager, it was predominantly, I did a lot of running um, and I played a lot of rugby. Um, but my summer sports were always water sports, uh, sailing in my younger teenage years and then windsurfing and surfing as I got a bit older. And so I had that sort of affinity for the outdoors and I loved to be in nature and challenging myself physically. And, and I ended up having a very simple accident on a beach I used to spend my summers as a, a lifeguard and, um, and instructing windsurfing and surfing and I had a, an accident diving into water, um, probably the, the least risky thing that I did all, all that summer. Um, and I hit a sandbank and I, I broke the fifth vertebrae in my neck. And, and look, in a, in a moment, the way that I knew of navigating the world and interacting uh, with life was, was very dramatically changed for me. And, um, Anybody that goes through a significant diagnosis or, or, or life-altering injury, or there's many ways that, that it can take, take place, um, you go through a grieving process of the life that you had planned and the way that you knew of, of interacting with life. And, and that was very much my case. And, you know, there's the, the bargaining and the shock and denial and, and the natural dip of, of depression. And, uh, and then you come to a phase where you, uh, you would call it uh, reconstructing and following that is some level of acceptance and and the reconstructing phase and um, this takes place over years and decades you know really and and I'm 10 years since my injury now and over those years uh, it's a, a case of yes it's mental but it's also physical and uh, and so on and um, it's involved a lot of trial and error and um, in the early years, um, so I have about 15% muscle function. Uh, I don't have any finger function or hand function, um, but I've got sort of wrists, biceps, and shoulders. And my desire was always to find my way back into the outdoors and the sports that I loved. Uh, anybody that runs um, or, or plays uh, a team sport or, or particularly does an adventure sport knows that one of the things that brings you back again and again is um, finding that sort of flow state. And it was, it was and has been a challenging and, uh, and, and very much trial and error based approach to, to get there. 
Uh, I've done all sorts of things from uh, silly things like skydiving to, uh, to whitewater rafting, kayaking. Uh, more recently, I took up sailing. Um, uh, and then I, I do a lot of uh, training in the gym and uh, exoskeletons were mentioned earlier and that's kind of my, my health maintenance piece. But really, that puts me in a position then to get into the outdoors. And the sports that I, I predominantly have found myself doing now are, are hand cycling and, and uh, sit skiing. So I've had to go abroad for the sit skiing, um, but that's been a, a really fun adventure over the past two years in particular. Um, uh, but the, the hand cycling has been fantastic for me. And it takes time, we mentioned earlier, the challenges in access to equipment. It takes time and trial and error to find the right equipment. Um, but when you do, you know, it just puts you back in the place where you can enter the pain cave again <laughs> and, uh, and seek that uh, challenge that I think anybody that's into sport benefits so much from. So Jack, we see on your Instagram page, check out his Instagram page, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, you're down the, the highways and byways of the roads of Ireland and the hand cycling. What is working in terms of the ground, in terms of uh, participation, access to facilities? What's working, what can be improved? Yeah, so look, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been uh, exploring the greenways around the country this summer. Um, um, Waterford, various stretches of the, the Royal Canal Greenway. Um, uh, there's a, a new one opened up not too far from us uh, up in Navan. Um, um, I was down in Waterford. So they, uh, I'm going to Limerick this weekend. Um, they are amazing. Uh, the, the, the greenways are just a fantastic amenity uh, around the country. Uh, last year we were in St. Anne's Park um, the, the par, uh, for the uh, Liberty and IWA run and roll. Uh, an amazingly inclusive event. The atmosphere was, was fantastic. And um, the parks around the country are, are getting better and better in terms of having uh, areas that are, are reasonably well either paved um, or have very hard pack uh, gravel, uh, which is also really good for, for a bike or, or wheels. And um, those kind of things make a big difference. One of the big things uh, that makes a really big difference as well is being able to point to a space where you can say, um, at this stop, I'll be able to use a bathroom, for example. There are considerations that play um, much more on the mind of, uh, of an adaptive athlete of different types. Um, uh, for, for others, it, it might be um, uh, the knowledge that they'll be able to get a car parking space or get into the the restaurant um, uh, nearby or these kinds of things. And so um, having information and signposting about those type of things um, otherwise become the kind of the, the small barrier to entry. They're, they're the unnecessary friction, you know, um, that, that can be worked around. What's great though is now when you go onto Google Maps or a lot of um, uh, organizations and facilities are starting to put little notes up there to say um, what their access is like. And, and that's amazing because, first of all, it makes the, um, the facilities and amenities uh, uh, more readily accessible for everyone. But it's also good for businesses in the area and so on um, uh, because it gets more, more people out and using, using these places and spaces. Roger Keeley, uh, I learned that over 60,000 people on the island of Ireland are either visually impaired or blind. Uh, you're doing work with Vision Sports Ireland. Maybe highlight what you're doing day to day, 
uh, some of the challenges and the opportunities. Yeah, absolutely, John. So I guess Vision Sports Ireland, we're a national governing body um, promoting sport and physical activity for people blind and visually impaired. Um, so we're a multi-sport organisation. Um, and I guess our, our objective and ambition is to uh, engage, get people to engage in the physical activity. Um, and then the, the sport and the high performance piece can be a byproduct of that. Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest barriers from, 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 from our side, um, it's been mentioned already, but transport is a huge piece. Um, you know, there are over 62,500 people across the island. Uh, but again, it, the infrastructure, you know, we speak a lot about the universal design and, and accessibility, but if people can't access, so none of our members have driving license, you know. So if you, um, to, to be diagnosed with vision impairment, it's Logmar 0 0.5 uh, or less. So anyone wearing glasses, that's considered corrective, corrective vision. So I guess um, the, the transport network in, in Ireland is, is a huge barrier to, to our members um, and I think when it comes to, to when we speak of infrastructure and greenways and the sports capital programs and, and all the developments that will be coming it's it's it needs to dovetail with the transport network um, there's great work being done with rural link and that um, but again there needs to be more done to, to support our members to be able to access their local gym their local club um, which is which is hugely important but I think the infrastructure piece is, is, is part of it the education uh, is another element and giving people the confidence to be able to engage with stakeholders, engage with people with disability and learn and um, I suppose be able to best design um, and develop programs uh, suitable to their needs. So like we're, we have a vision sports awareness training course which is it's an hour and a half workshop delivered online and again it's just trying to remove those the, the, the fear factor um, and educating people on the different types of vision impairment, like less than 5% um, of the 62,500 have no vision. So the majority of our members would have some level of functional vision, but it's just, I suppose, giving people the confidence to be able to engage and ask, well, you know, what sports, what can you see? How can we support you? Um, and then I suppose the, the, just on the video from Leakslip uh, Athletic Club, um, Lakeela there, like we have a guide running workshop which we've developed with Athletics Ireland um, in the past 12 months and also we're working with Cycling Ireland um, and we've ro we're rolling out a tandem pilot training course but again the challenges around volunteerism and I know that's is, you know something Sport Ireland are working um, and, and trying to combat but it, it's, it's having huge implications um, and the participation for our members because I suppose people um, are, are very busy, leading busy lives, and the sort of volunteers and challenges that clubs are facing, um, you know, are, are absolutely evident in supporting our members to, to access physical activity. Thank you, Paul Dragon. Benny Cullen, obviously, you're involved in innovation research, uh, you know, maybe where the money spent through Sport Ireland, but are the nuts and bolts of what's going on on the ground, what you feel is maybe not working that could be working, and what are you excited about? Um, the, okay, well maybe, just maybe to touch on some of the other barriers that have come up, the, um, we did a piece of qualitative work when we did our, our diversity and inclusion policy, and the, the stuff that frequently comes up, came up, you know, training, facilities, access, um, on the access point, I think Padraig's point is brilliant, there's no point in having a universal access facility if you can't get there, you know, the, mm. um, so how many of these sporting facilities 
around public transport networks that are also accessible. The number of sports clubs that we have that you can't get to by bus is really challenging. Or even, I mean, I'm like Jack, I love the outdoors, but I frequently get to the outdoors. I'm like, how are you supposed to get here if you can't drive a car? You know, so that, that piece, I think, is an area to, to work on. The, um, um, I also think so some of the other stuff, and it's more human stuff, Dean, when we spoke, and this is focus group work, so rather than percentages and statistics, um, when we spoke to people with a disability, um, they talked a little bit about just kind of human interaction and attitudes, Dean. So first of all, they didn't always feel that they felt welcome in sports clubs, you know? Not that it was said, not that it was um, explicit, but almost this implicit kind of, oh, do I really belong in there? Can I be part of that, Dean? So there's a piece there, and it's, it's the first point on the, the, the Active Disability Ireland chapter is openness, you know? The openness and promotion, promotion the fact Promote the fact that you're inclusive and be open to people with, with a disability. Um, and then interestingly, they also talked about their own experience. DM kind of linked in a little bit with confidence. DM, and in two ways, first of all, you know, maybe feeling unsure as to whether they'd be able to do it, but also what they expressed was this fear of being a burden, you know, DM, which I found that really hit me hard. I was like, Jenny mm. Mac, you know, the um, you know, we want you involved in sport. The, um, and so that's something I think that sport really needs to work on, on that messaging around openness and, and welcome. And then the last piece, and it was touched on earlier on, the, um, and, and thanks to Liberty for doing the piece of work, because it's always nice to get these additional bits of research that give us new perspectives and, and different insights. Um, but one big thing we heard in the focus groups was choice. The, um, that depending on where you live in Ireland, you don't necessarily have a broad range of sports that you can engage in. The, um, and I think that's even more important if you have a disability, because you might be limited in what kinds of sports you might want to be sporty and active. You know, Jack was described, you might not be able to do some of the things that you did when you were younger, some of the experiences you had if you've had an acquired injury, but it's important that people have choice and diversity of opportunity there that is accessible, the, um, that has universal design and that is open and, and welcoming. Um, I think one thing we've done particularly well, and I was involved in it in a previous role in Sport Ireland, it's kind of one of the things I'm, uh, probably one of the proudest moments I have in, in my career was um, the national sports policy gave us the, um, the impetus to put a, a sports inclusion disability officer into every local sports partnership. And I kind of oversaw that. And Podrick was um, one, of our, one of our sidos back in the day. Um, that network is so powerful, but sometimes I feel it's the best kept secret in Ireland, you know? I'm like, Janie Mac, you know, if people have a disability, um, there's, a, there's a person in every local authority the, whose job it is to find opportunities for you to get active, find the thing that works for you, help you overcome barriers you might be experiencing with clubs, get back to the things that you loved or discover new things that you might love. Um, and so I think that's something really important to mm -hmm. champion and to kind of continuously remind, you know, the, um, both the sports sector, but also those working with people with a disability, that there is that connection there. The, um, um, and Porter could probably speak better at than I could, but um, yeah, there's something there really special. Yeah, one of the survey findings from the Liberty survey I found, 94% of clubs believe they should cater to individuals with disabilities, but less than three in 10 have specified in their club chart or mission statement. Uh, I suppose just before we go to the break, and this is a touch point for the further discussion around solutions, but look, we all have uh, views around capacity and that kind of thing. Um, one thing you want to get out of this discussion today, one thing you want to get out of the participation space, say in a year's time or five years time, um, what is the one thing you want to say to everybody, because this will be going out on the radio as well, um, about you know, the great work you're doing and, and where you want to get to? If you, if you were going to give a message to anybody, what would it be? Um, education. Education. If we, can, uh, you know, if we can build capacity in the community, the, the programs, um, the accessibility will come. So I think the ed education is, is key. Um, also around 
national governing bodies. I think like funding, there's certainly funding around and uh, required there with regards to uh, and dovetailing that in with culture. You know, Minister Rabbit touched on it earlier. It's all well and good having an inclusion officer, but whether it's an LSP or, or national governing body, uh, there needs to be a culture of inclusion, whether it's participation, membership, competition. Um, it needs to be across the organisation. Uh, in 30 years' time, we'd, Vision Sports Ireland or IWA Sports shouldn't exist. Our members should be catered for within national governing bodies, mm -hmm. whether it's athletics, cycling, basketball, whatever the case may be. So I guess it, there, there's a, a huge piece of work to be done um, in that regard um, to, to supporting people with disabilities uh, to be fully embedded in national governing bodies of sport. One thing you want to get out today. Um, I think increasing that that idea of openness, the um, um, for the sports sector especially, the um, that um, if there's volunteers out there who are working in sport or coaching or whatever it might be, um, they're not expected to know everything about every disability and to know all the nuances of how to engage with people with a disability. Um, but what we would ask them is to be open, to be empathetic, to to engage in the conversation to make those people feel welcome, to promote the fact that they're welcome. And when people come, just have conversations with them and ask them about what they'd expect, what they'd like. They understand their lives better than anybody else ever will. And so having, having that openness, I think, would be really good. And then the second thing is, is just connectivity. You know, the, um, so I think the CIDOs are a good example. There's a number of specialist NGBs working in disability sport. Um, you know, trying to improve the linkages between those disability services that exist in sport. And it's great to see Anne Rabbit speaking earlier on and what's happening in other government departments and other areas. Um, um, so that connectivity and then that openness, you know, the, and, and promoting that openness. Jack, you've been brilliantly open about your own experience. You've spoken to the minister today. You've heard from everybody else so far. What's the one thing you want to get out of this in terms of moving forward? Look, we've, we've mentioned there are, there are barriers and challenges, uh, but there's a lot of good work that's happening uh, as well. And it's important to say that as we speak, uh, the ladies are, are playing down under in Australia. Um, uh, but if you think back a couple of years ago, there was the 2020 vision. Um, and their tagline was, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I'm very aware we have Vision Sports Ireland here, but the premise um, is, uh, is the same. Um, I think there's a lot to that. Um, showcasing, like we are today, um, the good things that are happening and the case studies that are working well, that just creates a pathway for more people to, to say, this has been done before, we can do it in our community, we can do it in our club, there are ways um, and, and it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, awareness always precedes change and um, getting that message out there and showcasing it in a slightly more public way and um, the good work that is being done um, to me is the best way that we can um, give a pathway for, for it to be easier in the future for, for those that follow, you know. Health professional, not executive director and speaker Jack Havana, Padraig Cayley, National Sports Development Officer with Vision Sports Ireland, and Benny Cullen, Director of Research and Innovation at Sport Ireland. Thank you so much for your excellent insights.